Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie, low-cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8 Dublin's Talking Sports Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports Podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Morning, Reg. How are you? Oh, never better, never better. Yeah, it's been a busy old week, I have to say, in sport. Plenty going on. Uh, I suppose I started there just talking about the Vera Poe um, yeah. controversy. Bit of a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, a bit of a strange one, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, a big fallout after the World Cup. I mean, she, you know, to get to the team to the World Cup was fantastic, but obviously there seemed to be problems over there within the camp. And uh, even though she claimed that the FAI uh, had already sort of agreed a contract, uh, they reneged on it, and and now she's gone. You know, so I don't know whether it was be- because of the, you know, problems that she had within the camp with some of the players, or well, she came know, out yesterday, uh, Ken, and she said she didn't yeah. have any uh, issues with the players. Further on in that interview, as I mentioned with yeah. David Kelly in the Indo, she goes on to say that. There's never been any problem with the players. She gets on great with the players. Yeah. In fact, that she was contacted by some of the parents of the players, um, sympathising with her and some of the players themselves. So, um, yeah, it's interesting one that. Yeah, well, it was, you, th- then you'd wonder why the FAI sort of uh, reneged on their what they what she said was a was a deal that was already in place, a verbal agreement, you mm. know. So, uh, but if you go back to uh, the World Cup, I mean, there, there was some sort of. Uh, problems with, with players that wanted to be subbed or thought that they should have, she should have changed things, if you remember. Uh, so there seems to be, so maybe she's just saying there wasn't problems with players, but there seemed to be something going on, you know, and, and that's why maybe the FAI had a, a, an overturn in the decision. Yeah, you'd imagine that. But it, uh, seems, it, seems, it seems unfair now, to be honest. You know, I thought she did great, you know, getting Ireland to the World Cup in the first place, the first time ever. And the way they performed over there was was remarkable. They were a little bit unlucky, you know. So, she, she you know, you, you can't help but feel a bit sorry for her in a way. Oh, you know? I, I think, as I said at the start of the show, Ken, I think the balance of sympathy seems to be heavily weighted in Vera Poe's, um, mm. you know, camp uh, because everybody yeah. was delighted with the work that she'd done and were happy yeah. that she continued on. But it just seems to have... In her mind, it seems to have come out of the blue. Um, but there must be more to this uh, thing yeah. about the accusations against her in the US. There seems to be more to that than maybe we're being told. Yeah, maybe uh, that's come back to sort of uh, haunt her a little bit, you know, even though she was cleared of everything. But yeah, maybe maybe it is because of that, you know. And uh, and then you'd have, to, you'd have to see what some of the other players, some of the players that played under her, uh, are they all going to come out and support her? I think that would be the interesting thing over the next few days, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, clarity Rather is definitely... Than just for what she's saying from her side, you know, the players yeah. come out in the media and say, no, she was brilliant, she did this, she did that, uh, and see how many players come out. And then I think that would, the proof would be in the pudding then. Yeah, again, it was funny how she was just talking about the relationship. Yesterday, I saw her talking about how, you know, people shouldn't, 
say anything against Katie McKay that the two of them have a great relationship because in, invariably yeah. in these things what happens is people tend to turn on other people and like you know they'll lash out especially on social media everybody's having a go and yeah. having their tuppence worth and uh, having a go at everybody across the board whether it be players yeah. Vera Powell the FAI and no one really knows what the truth of it all is I think from an FAI point of view they probably need to come out and just clear this whole thing up um, for once and for all and, and you, yeah. know, you know just, well, just give everybody the full story it'd be the easiest yeah absolutely she certainly called them out i mean she hasn't held back in her in her in her voice or criticism of of the way the fai have have uh, have sort of worked with her so it'd be interesting to see what sort of reaction we'll get from you know a spokesperson for the fai in defense of their actions and and their decision making you know but uh, i feel you know i feel sorry for her to be honest i think she did a great job yeah, so do I. Yeah, because uh, mm. even in that part of the accusations that she was uh, alleging is that there was interference from FAI executives during the World Cup. So I suppose the question there is, who are those executives? What way did they interfere, and what did they try and do during the World Cup that she felt was yeah. interference? And I think they're they're fair fair questions to be answered. You know that that need to be clarified. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. To put everything in place. Absolutely, anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. moving on from that, I'll be talking to Alan Colley a little bit yeah. more about that, obviously, as well, Vera Pau. Mm. Uh, um, but there's plenty uh, of other stuff going on. Uh, transfer yeah. deadline day and bits and pieces, uh, all things united. So you keep an eye on uh, that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought they did a good deal yesterday. They got a. Uh, uh, you know that uh, Amrabat, the Moroccan uh, midfielder, who had a wonderful World Cup, you know, Fiorentina player. They've got him in. Uh, on loan, uh, I think it'd be a, a great addition to the midfield. They got Regulian, is it from Tottenham? Mm-hmm. Don't know much about him. He's just cover because Luke Shaw and Malaysia are are injured. Uh, I think the big story of them all was the you know that the, the Saudis were wanted to were willing and still willing because their window hasn't closed yet, uh, even though. Uh, the Premier League's windows closed and the UK's windows closed, but they, they offered up to 200 million for Mo Salah. You know, I couldn't Liverpool believe that. I, I thought that was very answer. high. Yeah. Huh? I thought that was very high. <laughs> uh, it is, yeah. I mean, I, I was listening to the you know talk radio last night when I was coming back, uh, and uh, a lot, a lot, believe it or not, a lot of Liverpool fans thought it was a good deal, like you know, and they were willing. But I think it's because of the deadline day. I mean, Liverpool would have no chance of getting another striker in, so they'd be leaving themselves very, very vulnerable. Um, but would I mean, you, would, would you sell them? I mean, it's a lot, a lot of money. If you were offered two hundred million from Mo Salah, I, I would have thought you'd have to sell him. Yeah, well, you would have thought so, but, uh, but then. Where does that where does that leave you as regards like you know threatening Man City and and, and possibly getting back into those uh, either winning the Premiership or getting back into certainly the Champions League's place because Liverpool as we know will be playing on Thursday nights this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well I, I I accept that, but are they in a position to 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 make that challenge as things stand now anyway, or would they be better off? Taking the um, the money and maybe yeah. waiting for the next transfer uh, window and shopping around and doing their homework and maybe building towards the season after because it, it's hard to, in all honesty, say that they're challengers at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that they're in a better position with Mo Salah. There's no, def- no doubt about that. True. I think, even though, you know, over the last season, he hasn't been his proficient best. There's no doubt about that, you know, but he's still a, a class player. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Class player. yeah, and if it, I think it would send a signal out to the Liverpool fans, and I think the rest of the Premiership is that we're just going to take the money and uh, not worry about the Premiership this year because I don't think 
they could challenge Man City without Mo Salah. So I think, uh, you know, that's why they're going to hold on to him. You know, okay. I'm sure the Saudis will come back though. They will come back in January or even next summer as well, and and he'll still be, you know, offered a similar amounts. Not maybe as much, but uh, certainly up to 100 mil for him in next summer. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Well, look, I had a great day yesterday, Reg. Yeah, where were I had you? A great day. I was in Crow Park. Park at a, a fundraiser for Rahini uh, GAA. Brilliant. And um, Kenny Honeyham was one of the speakers. Uh, Richie Power, Kilkenny Horler, won, of course, eight, eight All Orleans. Uh, Brian Fenton was there. Yeah. And uh, Orla Comerford, the Paralympian uh, runner, was there as well. Wonderful story from Moore and indeed the others. And we just had a, a wonderful day there. Crow Park, the Hallow Turf looked absolutely immaculate. It was a Four hundred and fifty people there for the fundraiser to raise a lot of money for the club, and it was just it was just wonderful uh, listening to the story. Kenny Cunningham told a great story about. Uh, he says he got two tickets for his son for the All Ireland, you know. Yeah. And it's the first, uh, and his, his son has been brought up in England, you know. Just every, you know, even though he, he's tried to incorporate and show them All Ireland matches and stuff like that. But he, when he said, he says, I got two tickets for the All Ireland. He says, What? We're going to go on a tour of All Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I can see where well, that he, would come he, from, he, from the young lad, all right. I know, yeah. He brought, him, he brought him to the game, got him on the bus. You know, he's on his phone all the time. He's only 15, the yeah. you know, and he, he gets him. Um, you know, in with the crowd, he's on his phone, he's not really taking it in until he gets into the ground and he walks up through the Hogan stand. He's still on his phone, he's got him a programme, he hasn't paid any interest in the programme. And he only, when he gets up to the Hogan stand and he turns around and looks down and sees the, you know, the all the people, the flags, the pitch and everything then. And he looks at him and he looks at his, his father and then he realises... He gets it now. He yeah. knows what it's all about. He says by the end of it, he's hugging people he hasn't met before. You know, he's jumping up and down. And he's, he's completely into it. Great story. Yeah. Brilliant. Story, Brilliant you know? stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What, what have you got on this week's New Girls? Uh Oh, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, well, I, I was supposed to have a couple of qualifiers for uh, China. And... Uh, Guess who I've drawn in the first round of both of them? Ronnie O'Sullivan. Brilliant. In both of them. The odds of that. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no, no qualifiers. I'm sure he's, uh, I'm sure he's uh, quaking in his boots, right? <laughs> now it's time to talk golf, and I'm delighted to be joined by the one and only Johnny McCann of the Bogeyman Podcast. Morning, Johnny. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Oh, never better, never better. Uh, very happy that uh, the weather forecasters seem to come out. Um, they gave Electric Picnic the go-ahead and we're going to have a decent enough weekend of weather by all accounts. And down in County Clare, that would certainly help as we're uh, hoping the weather stays fine down there and we're looking at a festival of golf down there as well. Um, not a bad start uh, for Leona Maguire, dragging herself back into it a little bit. But overall, um, we're looking at Diksha Dagar in the lead at the halfway mark of the KPMG. She is indeed. So India's Diksha Degar, she's a 36-hole leader at this year's KPMG Women's Irish Open, Drummond Castle. Degar shot uh, two rounds of 65 and 69. She currently leads by one. She's 10 under, 10 under par. Some big names, including Anne Van Damme, have made big moves yesterday in round two. And she's currently nine under par. She's probably one of the big favourites to have gone into this event to win it. She's joined by Gurleen Kukor of America and Emma Grecki of France, uh, two two uh, two very very good players. Girlie Cord, this is actually only her second start 
on the Ladies European Tour. She just came out of college. She's a, she's a American and she's a very very good player. Mm. Um, Leona Maguire and Olivia Mahaffey they're they're the best of the Irish. Both of them are four under par. Leona she made it interesting. At one point yesterday looked like she was maybe going to give it away, which actually happened exactly this week last year she had a tough Friday and got in on the number last year but she went 500 par to her last four holes going birdie eagle birdie par to uh, to finish 400 par alongside uh, Olivia Mahaffey who opened with 300 par on Thursday and shot a, a very very steady 100 par yesterday it's an incredible back nine, it really is. Five under uh, to drag herself right back into contention. Um, yeah, not, you know, at, at this stage of it, uh, still well in it. I, I suppose for um, Leona Maguire, obviously uh, Olivia Mahaffey, and there's uh, plenty of other Irish uh, there as well still in contention, but I suppose for Leona in particular, the pressure must be immense coming back to play her home open. Absolutely. I think the, the easiest way to equate it is when Rory ever comes back here to play the Irish Open or, you know, there was a couple of years where he missed the Irish Open himself last year and he got a, he got a lot of slack from that mm. within kind of public circles and within the media. Leona is the exact same. She's the first Irish woman to have ever won on the LPGA Tour. She's now won twice. She's ranked 14 in the world. Ever since she was about 14 years old, 13 years old, she's been touted as this golfing phenom. She w- was a record-setting world number one amateur for I think it was about 380 weeks so the second she got over to Notre Dame mm. her entire college career she was the best amateur in the world she then turned out to be professional and she doesn't play a lot of golf on the ladies European tour she plays she she you know she plays her trade over in the states on the LPGA and she's very very good to come back over here play this event be the face of the event yeah. this is a week where she gets dragged from pillar to post doing media obligations and I've asked her two or three times to have a word with us and understandably she's just you know she's exhausted from all those obligations from sponsors and media to then go out and play 72 holes of golf and shoot the score that she did is incredibly admirable yeah absolutely and then there's plenty of other Irishes as, as I said in contention as well um, uh, Kate, Kate Lanigan uh, is just on 69 and Sarah Byrne 2 under after shooting 68 so there's 302 under there still, still well in contention um, who else is there Emma Fleming and Beth Coulter are still there as well but a few others missed out uh, but yeah still plenty of Irish interest Absolutely, and I think it kind of, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Leona. She's been such a, a, a focal and visible figure from women's golf that, you know, Kate Lanigan, she's, she's in her late teens, Beth Coulter's just turned 20, Emma Fleming's very young as well, Sarah Burns just turned 23. Those are all girls that grew up looking at Leona and watching what she was doing. There were 10 Irish girls starting the field um, between amateurs and professionals on Thursday. Six of them, four of those who are amateur, have made the weekend, which is which is unprecedented. And that says a lot about this event, what it means to Irish golf and golf Ireland. And the the future is very, very bright for Irish professional golf. And as Sarah Byrne has ambitions of turning professional, as does Beth Coulter within the next couple of years. Beth she just went over to Arizona State just last September. So she's actually missing a week of college this week to to play in this event, as is uh, Sarah Byrne. Yeah, as you said, the quality in the field is is unbelievable. And uh, already, um, for people that may not realise, 10,000 people have already attended the event uh, on Thursday and Friday. And then across the weekend, there's expected to be another ten to 12,000 more coming across Saturday and Sunday. So there's no doubt about it that the crowds are turning out in force to support this. 
Absolutely. And I think the, the, there are two big factors that come into play when it comes to attendance for a golf event such as this. The first one is the weather. Unfortunately, we've got no control over that. Um, you might be able to hear there's a couple of lawnmowers going around. I'm just standing by the 18th week. There's a fog delay this morning for about an hour or so. Yes. But the second factor is Leona Maguire in contention and Olivia in contention. Obviously, we want to watch our own homegrown talent here. And having both of those players and the amateurs in contention, that'll drive more and more people to come over the weekend. And obviously, this is the first week back in school. So I imagine Thursday, Friday was probably a little bit quieter. But the weekend now, it's, it's set to be very, very busy now that we've got so much Irish interest. OK, leaving the Irish interest aside, uh, as you said, at the very beginning, Diksha Dagar is the 36-hole leader. Um, uh, predictions, how, how do you think it's unfolding? Is, is Dagar likely to, to hang on, do you think? Or is there going to be a lot of pressure coming from the rest of the field? Today's going to be huge for Dixie Degar. She won earlier on this year. It was her, her first win on tour. But she she's paired with Anne Van Damme. Anne Van Damme, if you could build an athlete, it would be Anne Van Damme. This is a woman who, in her downtime, likes to compete in Ironman tournaments. She, she is She's about six foot tall, incredibly strong. She hits the golf ball 40 yards further than anyone else in this field. Um, Dixie wouldn't be the biggest guy, hitter of the golf ball. So... If she can not get intimidated by Anne Van Damme, she'll do very well. But uh, for, for for my money, it's uh, it's going to be Anne Van Damme from the Netherlands. He's gonna he's gonna be the the champion this year. Mm, okay, well that's certainly one to uh, uh, to watch. And I suppose if the wind does get up a little bit down there, having that extra power would make all of the difference. And uh, we'll have to see Absolutely. how it unfolds. Well, hopefully um, we'll be looking at the Irish taking uh, chasing up that field anyway, uh, rather than Van Damme. But we'll just see how how it all <laughs> unfolds. It's time to turn our attention to rugby now uh, with the World Cup just around the corner. I'm delighted to be joined by Irish independent writer uh, Rory O'Connor. Good morning, Rory. How are you? Hey, Reggie. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, less than a week to go. My excitement levels are really starting to build. Um, I, I really can't remember looking forward to a World Cup as much in a long, long time as I am to this one. It's finally uh, on our doorstep. And uh, yeah, I suppose during the week there's been plenty of chat. I think people are, are starting to look for things to, to, to talk about now. I wanted to start, <laughs> if I could, with you just uh, quickly about this kerfuffle that's going on about the South African bench split. This is all a bit of a storm in a teacup or talk for, for no reason if you ask me. I mean, it's if they want to split the bench, let them split it up whatever way they want. Obviously, we want to have prop forwards that are in there for special positions that are dangerous. But other than that, wouldn't it be great to see um, uh, Andrew Porter on the wing, for example? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's coaching innovation, isn't it? Like it's, it, it is... Um, Razzy Erasmus and Jacques Nina were thinking outside the box and going, right, well, how can we weaponize what we have even further? And I know Matt Williams, your old coach, wasn't too happy with it. No. He said they were abusing the bench. But I like these entitled. That's This is how these things work. It's, you know, he's entitled to his opinion. There is, like, there's something awesome about seeing the, the fact that it brought them off the bench all at once as well mm. is was just a, a statement and a, you know I, I've heard from sources that the, the, they if they beat Scotland because if they beat Scotland they're pretty much in the quarterfinals they will look to do this against Ireland to make as much of a mark against Ireland as they can in that po- third pool game so um, we may see it we may not it may be um, a bum steer but you'll ne- you never know but if we did what a talking point to have and you know Luke Pichero was on our podcast left wing during the week and he said well, if, if I was playing against a team a seven-one split, I'd be sending all my big ball carriers at the backs, trying to get one, you know, not trying to get them injured, but trying to fatigue them, trying to, you know, because there's no cover for your backline. You know, there's no, you've left yourself massively exposed, and we saw that 
with the Toulouse-Leinster game and the Heineken Champions Cup this year, you know, that Dupont ended up playing out of position for the whole game. And while he can do it, he's a lot less of a 10 than he is a 9. So it, it is a, it's an awesome prospect in theory. But in reality, you know, everyone's got a plan until they get the, the first punch or whatever that famous Mike Tyson quote yeah. is. You know, if, if Manny Libok goes down and they end up playing, rejigging their entire back line, it could be incredibly disruptive. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not 100% honoured it. I kind of like it and I don't like it at the same time, but I, I admire the innovation and the, the, the kind of courage to go with it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I can just imagine being one of those all-black forwards after 45, 46 minutes of being battered last Friday night and they look up and the seven more Springbok forwards just fresh to come on and beat them and they're down to 14 men as well. Mm. Like, it's a statement. But it can go wrong. It can go very easy to go wrong and it doesn't go, you know, they, they know they're taking a risk with it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it is a bit risky at times, but I mean, again, I just don't think there's any issue with it. If they want to do it, go ahead. doesn't bother me in the least. Tyke Furlong uh, plays a good bit out in that bike lane anyway with his little skips and loop <laughs> passes and passing behind the back. So the, the the way things are now, the reality is forwards are so skillful and talented. They're well capable of playing in the back lines. Some of those back row players uh, are well capable of going into the centre or going somewhere like that. Um, you know, so it, it'll be interesting to see. It, I think it's just, it's a little bit of a, gamesmanship as well from South Africa probably just you know yeah. to mix things up a little bit and throw a little maybe draw a little bit of attention from the main event which is of course that they're going to be going to win that World Cup and of course that they are very very serious contenders now for lifting that title because uh, they're coming good at a good time Eddie Jones as well in the news doing as usual um, I thought you know a little bit pathetically to be honest with you turning around and trying to shift the blame somewhat from his own tenure uh, talking about the RFU haven't got the, the structures in place um, a bit cheeky on his part I thought Yeah I, I do think they're culpable to some degree but I don't think Eddie can lay the blame entirely on on that, that you know on, on them I, I do think they, they're not running a great ship over there at Absolutely. the moment and um, you know I think Borswick's paying the price for that a little bit as well I mean, I'm not sure Borswick's the right choice either um, but it's a uh, it's a mad how much noise is coming out of all the other camps isn't, isn't it? it like like Ireland they're just quietly yeah like this could go could go horribly wrong but the you know Eddie giving interviews to the the BBC on the eve of the tournament when he's not even playing England yeah and uh, he's obviously got a point to prove he hasn't won a game yet as Australia coach you know England are in crisis you know they're, they're, you know the South Africa thing is quite a positive thing they've got people talking for the right reasons you know the All Blacks are dealing with a massive defeat there's just so many different storylines and quietly and like in France of injury crisis you know they've yes. lost we're talking about that in a moment so like there's just you know Eddie, Eddie's um, coming out and do this I don't know how that benefits Australia you know I don't know what he's trying to get out of it now they may meet England in a quarter final and that's going to be the storyline all week it'll be Eddie's revenge all that sort of stuff yeah and yet, I just wonder how it's going to benefit his team. I, I wonder about Eddie. I mean, you would have played against his teams. Like, I don't know if he's the coach he was. I don't know if he, he's able, if he's got it anymore. He reminds me of late stage Mourinho. You know, he's just not as effective. He's all chat. He's not backing it up as much. We may be surprised. They have good players, Australia. But, you know, why is he talking about his old job when he's got a massive job on his hands to try and turn this Australian team into a team that can get, a, get out of their pool, never mind, get to a quarterfinal, semifinal. I think they've got the players, they've got the raw materials to be a really competitive team given the side of the draw they're on. But 
you know, I just don't know what he's going to get out of going to the BBC and complaining about the RFU. Yeah, nothing is the answer, other than, you know, trying to cover his own back. But as you said, it's history. Move on, worry about yourself, and yeah. that's what he needs to do. And people who are going to be worrying about themselves, and uh, I have to say, because a lot of our uh, fans have said it to me during the week, we're not uh, crying in our soup over it, but France are having some terrible injury woes. And again, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, I think it's now... Mike Count is four of their key starting players uh, injured between Bailly, um, you know, Entomac, uh, Dante and Williams uh, g- g- getting these injuries. It's it's mm. really, really worrying for the host nation. I know they've got wonderful players to come in and replace them, but it is very, very worrying them, that, that level of disruption at this stage. Yeah, I think it's a reminder to us all of how much this World Cup is going to be a survival of the fittest because of the nature of the game and and even things like the seven you know the seven four is coming on all that sort of stuff. It's such a physical attritional sport, and it's going to be hard to get through it. Like you know, players are going to have to you know come through some serious stuff. You know, I read during the week about Richie. I'd forgotten Richie McCall played in the World Cup final with a broken foot in 2011. Like this is a these are these these competitions are hard to get through. So Johnny Wilkinson and his it, shoulder that we only found about yeah. afterwards, you know, things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll only find out how broken these guys are at the end of it all. And like Ireland have obviously had their blow with Keane Healy. Yeah. Um, and and that's you know it's really unfortunate for them. But for France, you know, Valence is a really important um, weapon in, in what they bring. Like they 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 hope to have Bay back. They picked him in their squad. Dante's I think only just gone for the first game, which is a blow. But you know, all they have to do is beat Italy and they're out of that pool. Um, that's not a disaster, but I think, and, and he's such like we saw last Saturday Sunday. Anyone who watched their game between France and, and Australia, he was exceptional. He's a world class player, and I do think themselves in the All Blacks, the All Blacks probably won't have Ritalik. Um, there's one or two others in their squad who, you know, um, Shannon Frizzell. I think they're just gonna, you know, skip that game. You know, they're, like they're coming back. I think if, if it was a pivotal game that they had to win, they probably you know do what they had to do to get them on the pitch. But they know that actually every team knows that as long as you can get through your pool, and some pools are easier than others, you know, you really don't want to be peaking. You know, it's like the warm-ups again. You know, you want to be getting the right in four weeks' time rather than this weekend, but you still want to perform in that first game. Valence is such a key figure in what France do in terms of that their, their scrummaging power, their mall, their ball carrying, their tight stuff, the less flashy stuff, mm. and providing a platform for DuPont to thrive. I think he's a major blow. Um, I think Entomac was more replaceable, although in France... They're very worried about the fact that Entomac um, isn't there. You know, I spent a week there last week before the game in, in, against Samoa, and they're worried about Jalabert's defence. They're worried about Jalabert's experience. Now he looked excellent against France. I'm sorry, against Australia. Yeah. But there's still a bit of concern that when it gets into the All Blacks or when South Africa or Ireland put pressure on that he hasn't, he's not quite the player Entomac is. There's, I guess there's a reason they've been picking Entomac ahead of him for the last four years. But um, they do have an incredible depth across the board. They have good players in every position. But Valencia is just. You know, something is something a bit different. The size, just yes. just in terms of a size, how do you replace that? They have Taufa Fanua, who's a very good player, and it will deputise. But it just means you're one level thinner, and you have to get him through four games yeah. to a quarter final. So yeah. it's just putting stress on them. I do want them to. I do want them to have a big tournament. I do want France to be a big part of this. I was in England when they went out in the pool stages, and look, they're obviously a clear and present danger to Ireland. But the, the tournament does lose something when the hosts go out. So, um, um, and I think they will. I think they'll still come to the party. They'll still be. I think they'll beat New Zealand next Friday, regardless. It's just whether you can get through the whole. Thing, yeah, um, you know, if they step up in the final against Ireland, I think that'll be that'll be the, the, the right way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about Ireland because uh, 
The build-up has been immense. As you say, Andy Farrell's getting about his work brilliantly, quietly. The team took off during the week. They all look in good spirits. There's a great uh, buzz around the place. But again, it was still fairly low-key. We're nobody getting carried away with themselves. There's nobody making uh, outlandish predictions. Um, a, a lot of talk and people asking me, in particular during the week, about my thoughts on their process of selection and what they're going to do. That first game against Romania, obviously Johnny Sexton needing game time, other players possibly have more time under the belt but you, you always want to start a competition on a, on a very good footing no question about that yeah. Romania is one that we're going to win there's no question around that um, but your thoughts on selection what, what way do you think he'll go with that and the Tonga match with a view to South Africa afterwards this may have changed after Samoa were so strong but my sense going into the Samoa game was that he was going to go full strength against Romania give Johnny a run out with all of the top players around him, get the combinations going again, get a big score in front of a massive Irish crowd in Bordeaux. As you say, bounce into the tournament, big score, big big party, big celebration, feel good vibes, and then head off to Nantes and rotate and play something similar to the team that played against Samoa with maybe a very strong bench that if things are getting tricky, sorry, if things are getting tricky against Tonga, Mm -hmm. you can call on James Ryan, Peter Omani, just like they did against Samoa. Now, Samoa are better than Tonga, um, and Ireland, I think, will be better in two weeks' time than they were last weekend when they just find it, like the players had just found out that they were in or, or they were out. Some of them had found out they were out and then they were picked to play their first game for Ireland. So it was a tough night at the office emotionally for them. And I do think that fed into the performance conditions. But I think, yeah, that's that was the plan initially as far as I could understand it. And, like, you know, he replicated his week between those two games. I Look, I think if Romania was week three, he'd arrested everyone and just picked it, picked it B-side. Like, Romania are probably the poorest team in this tournament. Mm. There's also the fact that we need, like, that, 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 that with, you know, if South Africa, sorry, if beats Scotland beats South Africa, South Africa beat Ireland, then you're going into that final game looking at points difference and bonus points and all just appear to have lost Rory there. We'll try and get him back on the line uh, if we can. Yeah, just a poor connection on that. Yeah, it is going to be interesting going into the uh, South Africa g- game. What do you do? I mean, uh, do you pick... You know, if I, had, I had the question asked of me yesterday, do you pick your full team against South Africa and try and get a result in that one and, uh, you know, maybe go full tilt then against Scotland? My reply to that was, no, you can't take that risk. You can't take the risk of uh, not winning yeah. that game against South Africa and then having to go into South Africa in a must, or sorry, into Scotland into a must-win situation, which is something that you definitely do not want to to, to have. So um, you know, I, I would imagine he'd be putting a full a full team out uh, in that in that game um, uh, against South Africa and getting the, the the full result where we can. So um, that that would be the push on that. But as Rory has said, Romania full squad looks like that's time. going to be the uh, decision to go on that one and then Tonga you can you can probably have a look and see what the situation is and where you stand with it um, and South Africa um, yeah uh, South Africa then we'd probably pick the full team I think we have Rory back you back Rory? Yeah no I was able to hear you there Richie Sorry right, apologies Reggie, um, I agree with you no I, like I, I think you can't rest players for that South Africa game mm-hmm. and if you win that South Africa game you, can you then have the comfort of being able to rest Johnny and one or two others against Scotland put them on the bench and you know need them as you as you must, but you know you may want to avoid you know France or, or or New Zealand, whatever way you think you, you know the, the the strength is yourself as Andy Farrell. But you know getting to that quarterfinal is all important. And I just everything we know about this coach and this team, they're not going to go half half bore against mm. South Africa. They they want to beat them. They want to make a statement. You know they want to beat the best teams in the world. They won't treat it strategically like that. And I don't think they should. I think that's the right decision. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, the other question that I was asked uh, regularly was... Um, who would you want in that quarterfinal? I mean, it's France or New Zealand. Uh, that's the way it's going to be. So who is it? And then my own personal, at this stage, and I never thought I'd be saying this, but my own personal choice would be for us to have New Zealand. I, I feel that we uh, have the measure of them. And at the moment, the way things stand, that they would be as little as there is in the difference, the slightly easier of the two games. I think so. I think, like, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure you played against Australia in Australia in 03, wouldn't yeah. you? Uh, did, like, you know, you know what that experience is like of playing against it. Um, obviously, Ireland played against France in 07 in France, and playing against the host nation brings something special to it. I know, I know, you guys nearly beat Australia that day, and pretty should have. But the, you know, it's not impossible. It, it doesn't make. It, but I think the way France is getting behind their team, the atmosphere that will be in the Stade de France, the profile of this French team in terms of their physical power. Like, obviously, Ireland, if they want to win this World Cup, will probably have to beat France along the way. You know, I think you'd rather meet them in a final than a, than a quarter final. Um, I would definitely think New Zealand are more beatable. The fact that Ireland have beaten them in New Zealand twice mm. in the last uh, 18 months, there's obviously a bit of fear there in the fact that Joe Schmidt is there. He's an excellent coach. He knows the players really well. They do look like they're on an upward curve, albeit a big setback last weekend. But I think physically, we're, we're better matched to playing against New Zealand. Um, look, they can, as we saw in 2019, on the day, just catch fire and and score tries out of out of relative nothing and, and just relatively nothing and kind of cut loose against an Irish team. But I do think, if you were asking me now, I'd say New Zealand. But it's not a it's not a very easy decision. To no, make it's not an easy choice. It's not an easy choice. As no, you said there, you know, let fall your way. You know, yeah. Yeah, whichever way it falls. I mean, as you mentioned there, yes, like I, I distinctly remember that game in the Telstra Dome in Melbourne against Australia in 03. And um, it's the host nation. And you, you wouldn't have thought it. That's the point I was going to make to you. I mean, it was so yeah. full of Irish. It was incredible. The noise levels were off the chart. The roof was closed. And believe it or not, when you're out on the pitch like that, it's not intimidating when those noise levels are crazy. In Stade de France, same thing. Mm. 80,000 people. It's not intimidating. It's lifting. It's uplifting. It really gives you that extra bit of a buzz, uh, the energy, because all you're hearing is noise. You're not hearing um, specifics, let's say. You're just hearing noise. Yeah. And, and it gives you an adrenaline rush. So I actually you know, feel that sometimes when you're playing against the host nation or our uh, our home team in those situations, you can use it to spur you on. And this Irish team seemed to be able to do that too. Yeah, and it can spook a team. Like you know, that's why I, the, the, a lot of my theory about getting them the final rather than the the quarterfinal. Listen to me talking about finals when yeah. we haven't even started the tournament. You know, if we'll have if you have any South African listeners, they'll be they'll be getting on to me. But like the. You know, look at the New Zealand final in 2011. The host nation has a lot, a lot riding on it as well. You know, there's, there's, when you get to that stage, when you when you can touch it, um, that makes life a bit more. There's a bit more pressure to that. You know, when you're a UA team, there's maybe a little bit less on your shoulders. An Irish team has never got beyond the quarter final. There's going to be a lot of pressure that week. You know, they can talk talk it down all they want, but that baggage is there. It's the That's 10th huge. World Cup. Yeah. That, that they will be taking doing something an Irish team has never done and maybe one of my great fears is that they'll do it and then they won't show up the following week and lose to a team they shouldn't lose to yeah. but again we'll get to that when it comes I worry I do, about like, that I, think yeah. France, I, I yeah, don't think I those think France, lads like, are, are, are in that category you know I'd worry no, about that if we so get either. to that stage <laughs> yeah absolutely but I think France are a better team than New Zealand like fundamentally and I think they're better matched 
you know, like in Paris with that crowd. If you remember that Six Nations game last year, yeah. they got on top of Ireland and played through Ireland. Yeah. When New Zealand beat Ireland last summer, it was kind of a bit of a freak, and they took their chances really well. But they were kind of, it wasn't like they were the better team on the night. It was a big win for them. Hmm. But I just think Ireland have something on them on the day. You never know. But like, if you were giving me a choice now, I'd definitely take the All Blacks. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, um, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly uh, follow it and see how it goes. The French do turn on their team as well, there's no doubt about that. So that could it be is. a factor as well. But um, well, bottom line is, Rory, it's uh, six days away before it starts off. That New Zealand-France game is going to be something else. It's going to be electric. I can't wait for it. I'm really looking forward for the whole tournament. And uh, you'll be heading over there yourself soon. Or are you still in France? No sailing yeah, no doubt about it. And Alan Cawley joins us on the line as well to discuss it. Alan, uh, I was just talking to Declan there about the Vera Powell, uh, situation and the, the article that David Kelly has in the paper this morning talking about uh, the interference is, is, is the words that she's using and some uh, backroom executives that are unnamed uh, interfering and questioning her authority and uh, reneging on contracts. It's, it's not a very nice situation. No, definitely not, Reggie. Um, and the way it's been played out in the public, obviously, uh, hasn't helped the situation. I haven't seen David uh, his article yet, mm. but obviously, I listened to the interview that Vera did with Tony, and I've been all over the story. We were kind of on air the other night when the story was breaking, and the dogs in the street knew that she wasn't being kept on, and the fact that she was left to the left lingering for hours on end for this review to happen, which she herself has called, basically saying it was predetermined before any review took place. So we all knew what was what was coming. So I think from a footballing point of view, it's a bizarre decision for me. Um, Reggie, obviously, when you look at the success that she's had, the first time we've ever qualified for a World Cup, all the goodwill that was coming with that and behind it. Obviously, since that and what's transpired since, there's been a lot of noise and uh, a narrative around it. There's discontent amongst the players towards Vera as well. And if it's for, I suppose, personal decisions, that's something that the FEI need to come out and clarify. And they didn't do that in the statement. I think the statement when they released it, uh, saying as to why they weren't renewing the contract, was that she wasn't fitting in line of the brand of football that they want to play going forward, which to me is complete and utter nonsense. Um, so I think, as I say, Reggie, my, my stand on is that from a footballing point of view, it seems bizarre that they haven't renewed the contract. But if it's for personal reasons and stuff that we don't know about, and as I said, there's lots of chatter about that, that's something that the FEI need to come out and clarify and, and until they do that I suppose we're still left in the dark and up to now they haven't done that and I don't think that's good enough Yeah I think uh, all all pressure now is on them to come out and clarify the situation, clarify what the alleged interference was, clarify about the uh, contracts before like, because Vera Power herself is saying that, um, you know, she's got a good relationship still with the players, that a lot of the players and players' parents were onto her, um, you know, commiserating with her and sympathising with her uh, on not getting the contract, and even with Katie McCabe she's saying there's a good relationship and that there shouldn't be any blame laid at that doorstep, so, you know if that relationship yeah, I think is I think it, yeah yeah sorry Reggie I think on that one to be fair though um, if you look and it's very telling nowadays obviously with the social media and every player has social media and all access to the public and whatever message they want to send out or portray not one player has come out in support of her or thanked her for her time yes. uh, not that I've seen anyone on social mm. media not one and to me that's fairly telling obviously there was four, three or four of them throughout the World Cup that were at press conferences and not one of them backed her publicly either in a press conference mm. so there is obviously major discontent we all know that yeah. amongst the players and Vera it's alright Vera coming out saying I still have a good relationship with him and obviously the stuff with Katie and, and no blame should be laid at her door because yeah. 
Vera wants to stay on and she was desperate to stay on and, and, and she made no bones about that she wanted to stay on I just think it's been handled so poorly from I suppose from the FBI's point of view um, that it seems as though whatever review had taken place or whatever discussions they had with the players they obviously felt that she couldn't stay on because yeah. of that so yeah. I think that's that's what needs to be clarified and as I say that is very telling for me Reggie you look at any manager that leaves his post now or leaves his job or any player that's leaving a club or leaving they all release statements the video messages of all sorts and you have all the players coming out and thanking them and putting tweets out and whatever they do on social media not one player has come out and said uh, we thank Vera and we're sorry to see her go or whatever the case may be Yeah, absolutely well it's uh, as you said it's time for a, a proper statement and clarification I think that's all people want is just full clarification so we'll see if that's forthcoming um, yeah I want to move on to our next topic uh, Alan uh, because I was contacted during the week by uh, one of our listeners a number of our listeners in fact uh, a little bit concerned it has to be said over a letter that was sent out from the clubs in the DDSL uh, this week um, telling them that um, all of the players who play in the DDSL now and I think from looking up on the website uh, that's over 40,000 boys and girls um, you know right up to under 18 playing in the DDSL will need to register for that league independently of their clubs. They have to self-register. And for that, there's going to be a charge of €30 Euros per player for that registration. So as I said, that uh, letter going out during the week and uh, various clubs sending that out to their members. Now, this is on top of the membership fee that clubs pe- people already pay to their clubs. Um, and I think most people, when they join their club, have an understanding that, you know, you're paying your membership fee and that's going to cover whatever you know competitions that your kids are playing and certainly in the GA and in, in in rugby with my kids and we're not paying extra for them to play their games. There is a breakdown of that um, charge, that 30 euro charge that's been attached to it. 7 euro 50 is going for insurance. I would have thought the kids were already insured under their club insurance. A 550 euro for FAI uh, fees. Again, I would have thought that was paid already through the clubs. A cost of 150 for information technology systems. A charitable contribution of 50 cent. And then uh, the other 15 euros is broken down amongst um, emerging talent programs, full-time staffing costs, full-time professional director of uh, football, who's Barry Ferguson and a a worthy appointment and I think that's good that they have that appointment IT infrastructure and uh, improvements to Abbottstown in in a nutshell capital improvements that are going on through the DDSL so I I suppose the question I have to ask you is uh, because it's coming in from our listeners is 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 it fair that this charge is going um, on top of families who are already hard pressed and this is per child by the way Some, some families will have two, three, four children playing in the DDSL is it fair that this charge has been um, hefted on top of parents at this time of year uh, as they've just gone back to school uh, or is it necessary for the progression of the league? Yeah, it's an interesting one, Reggie. And I suppose for my take on it, I'm coming at it from the same as you as a parent and a son who's um, playing with a local club. And I was hit with this as well during the week. It was news to me. Obviously, I help out with the coaching as well. So this was news to me when we were informed of it last week up at the training that not only will you be registering for your annual membership with your club, but also you have to pay this €30 euro registration fee. And until it's paid, no player will pay, which seemed a bit harsh to me. Obviously, as you said, there was the letter went out with the breakdown of the different costs. But a lot of those costs, to me, already fell under the umbrella of the fact that you're paying your annual membership. Yeah. So... To answer your question, I don't really see um, 
how they can add on the extra 30 because I would have thought all those things were covered uh, in, and it's and it's not cheap. Let me tell you to, to pay. I'm sure you're the same yeah. with your local club, as you says. If you have a kid with brothers and sisters, and you might have two or three at times, when as again you make the point about going back to school, people are hard pressed as it is, um, just with a cost of living crisis and stuff like that at the moment as well. So um, it does seem a little bit unfair, but as I say, it's news to me, Reggie. And mm. again, uh, I paid it during the week. Um, the young fella can play now, but. Um, well, this it's is the, the first I've ever heard of this. I've I've never heard of this, Reggie. Yeah, this is the problem. And and for clarity, we did contact the DDSL and we did ask them for someone to come on the show and, and clarify this for us this morning. Uh, they said there was nobody available and they when we asked about them about it, they said they had no comment. So I just want people to understand that we did ask the DDSL to uh, speak to us on this and they and they haven't uh, taken that opportunity. But uh, exactly what you're saying, I mean, these, these fees seem to already be paid. I mean, there's a 550 euro uh, FAI fee and it says... Please note, clubs do not have to pay the FAI fee directly. So what does that mean? Are the clubs going to give, reimburse people for 550 per child? I mean, it's a, it's a messy situation. But uh, I, I really yeah. don't think that they've taken into consideration. Like, there's a de- it's a mandatory charge. And there's a deadline of the 1st of September for, for, for mm. under 17 and under 18. And the 9th of September for under 8s up to under 16. So if you don't pay it, your kid can't play in the league. I mean, that just seems very, very harsh. And to me again, Reggie. Again, as I said, it's only news to me this week when I when I heard about it. But it seems like again, it goes back to the age-old argument that we always have in terms of the discontent around kind of football in this country because they should all fall under the one umbrella. But of course, the DDSL seem to do their own thing in terms of obviously whatever they're setting up um, different to, as you said, what the FEI have because you would have assumed if it's been run properly from the FEI down, all these clubs that are playing should fall under that. But of course, they're falling under a different. Entity with the DDSL, so that's where there's a big breakdown and a discontent as well, and and it's just again it's another cost for parents. And unless the I think the only way around it, Reggie, is the fact that if people I suppose vote with their feet and say they're not paying it, but then you're you're penalising the young kid that wants to play football and you want your kid to be involved in the sports and the local clubs as well. But as I said, it's not it's not it's not cheap. I've paid the annual membership and this thirty euro fee as well, and I do feel for parents that might be paying for two or three or um, the amount of kids if they've brothers and sisters playing as well. Yeah, one one listener texts uh, to say that they have six between boys and girls. It's one hundred and eighty euros that they've wow. got that they've got to come up with uh, to pay in that league. But anyway, hopefully the DDSL will even come the likes somewhere. of that. Yeah. Yeah, the likes of that situation, even that there should be a, a, fam, a family kind of price for yeah. the likes of that as well, yeah. Reggie. That's that's not good enough that a, a family like that has to pay out for six different individuals. Yeah, well, it certainly would be uh, nice if they would give some clarity on that. No more than the Vera Powell situation, some clarity on that uh, and let people uh, know. Um, but as I said, we did offer them the opportunity to come on and they haven't taken that opportunity. So we'll watch this space and see. Does it, is it a situation where people aren't uh, going to pay it or will they have to or what will happen? Anyway, uh, Let's have a quick look at the last night. So Rovers getting the job done convincingly 3-0 against Bowles and uh, Shelburne, I could see it certainly meant a lot to, to, to Duff. Anyway, uh, Damien coming back 2-1 <laughs> uh, against St. Pat's. Yeah, the video is brilliant, isn't yeah. it, of Duff, Reggie? Um, and we all spoke about this when Damien obviously got involved in the league and became manager. We all said such a brilliant kind of addition to the league for someone of his stature and his profile. And this is exactly what it brings. When you see a video of him with the passion and 
the excitement and I suppose the jubilation in that celebra- in that celebration last night after the match and the video goes viral and the whole place is talking about it. That's exactly what he brings, Reggie. And uh, he's doing a brilliant job. They're hanging on the coattails now of uh, Bohemians. I think they're only a point behind him. And when you think of we've lauded Bohemians all season, really, and suggesting last week that they were in the title race and now Shelburne are only a point behind him. So does that mean they're in a title race? I don't think so. But I think if Shelburne were to get into Europe, it would be a fantastic achievement for Damien Duff considering they got to the cup final as well last year and he keeps building nicely obviously a new player uh, Cabral came on and scored as well Paddy Barrett getting the winner in the last kick of the game and there was unbelievable scenes I think it puts a huge dent into St. Pat's uh, title aspirations but I never really felt and I said this last week and I've said it continuously for the last few weeks I, they're way ahead of schedule St. Pat's so they were never really in the race for the title obviously when you look at the table of course it suggests that because of the points tally and they're very close but in terms of the fact that the new manager um John Daly, who's done a brilliant job, they're building for the future, and I think they're, they'll be realistic contenders maybe next year, the year after. Um, so I always felt it was going to be Derry that were going to be the most realistic, and that's the way the results played out last night. Derry getting a huge win up in the dock, three one, gets them right back on track. If they win the game in hand, now it's down to four points, and then you have uh, Shamrock Rovers, obviously with a fantastic win themselves, beating their bitter rivals Bohemians. And Bohemians to me is something similar to what I'm saying about St. Pat's. It's Declan Devine's first year. The best he could have probably hoped for was the fact that uh, getting into Europe they were never really uh, realistic title contenders this year because of the turnover of players and what Declan obviously um, inherited and he's building there as well so that's not a huge shock to see them lose obviously 3-0 to be disappointed but I think in terms of their development it's still only in the infancy and Shamrock Rovers are still the team to beat and I think Derry are going to be the closest shot and Declan it's going to be another busy weekend Yes, good morning to you, Reg. It most certainly is uh, the go-ahead senior championship across all four codes is gathering pace. Sean Lane, our regular hurling analyst, is in studio with us this morning to review and indeed preview the small ball game activity in hurling and camogie across the county. So first of all, Sean, good morning to you. Welcome to our brand new state-of-the-art studio. Good morning, Declan. Good morning, Reggie. Good to have you in, Sean. It is indeed, it is indeed. We're going to start with last weekend's action in the go-ahead Senior 1 Football Championship. Defending County, Provincial and All-Ireland Champions Kilmacud Croaks were five points down at one stage to Castleknock in the first half, but they powered back to record a 4-11-114 Parnell Park success. So two from two for uh, the purple and gold there. And interestingly enough, they've added former Mead star Bernard Flynn to the backroom staff there as well. Himself and Robbie Brennan, of course, would be uh, fairly close, but was great to have the extra experience and knowledge around your team. Ballyboden St. Enders, well, they were four point winners over fellow Southside outfit Ballantyre St. John. Sorry, Sean. 117 <laughs> to 113. And St. Jude's, they were impressive winners over 14 man St. Vincent's, the Temple Oak outfit, winning by four clear goals there, 411 to 11. Sean Lamb, the Vincent's man, sent off in that one in the final 20 minutes. Ballymun Kickham's last champions in 2020 beat Temple Oak Sing Street, 19 to 7. Brian Ashton, the man raising the green flag for the Mun in that one. Elsewhere in the second round of games, wins for Thomas Davis who edged out Rohini, Scary's Harps at the expense of Sylvester's and Kula who are five points better off than Lucan Sars. So the third series of games in the race for places in the knockout stages taking place next weekend in the Blue Ribbon of Dublin Club Football. Moving to the Ladies' Championship now, Wednesday night saw the second round of games taking place. In Group B, Nafina powered by recent All-Ireland winners Hannah Tyrrell and Leah Caffrey amongst others brushed aside the challenge of last season's beaten finalist Thomas Davis 4-13 
sorry, 4-19 to 8 points is how that one finished. The other game in the group didn't take place. St. Bridges conceding to Fox Rock Cabin Tealy. In Group B, A rather, the defending champions Kilmacud Croaks. Back-to-back wins for them, following up on their win over Bowden, seeing off the challenge of Castle Knock, 5-15 to 1-6. Bowden got uh, the better of... Um, St. Sylvester's in a contest sorry uh, the other game had seven goals in it actually and the Fairhouse Road ladies winning that one 3-15 to 4-9 and that championship continues next Wednesday night as well staying with ladies but switching to Kumogi St. Vincent's the queen of the county drew with Luke and Sarsfields in group one while Ballyboden St. Enders had seven points to spare over Nafina 1-13 to 1-6 meanwhile in group B there were wins for Ballantyre St. John's and St. Jude's over Castleknock and Oliver Plunkett's own Rua respectively. As we said a little earlier, Sean Lane, our regular hurling analyst, is with us in studio this morning and uh, good to see the Camogie Championship up and running for 2023. What did you make of the overall action over the course of the weekend, particularly Vincent's drawing with Luke and Sean in their first appearance? Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it's the standout um, result because uh, it, that's a very strong group. You have Vincent's Luke and, and you have Bowden, Nafina. So it's really opened up the group for everybody. Vincent's, I would have thought, would have won the game, but uh, you know, Lucan came back. I thought actually Marin and Marin Kelleher, and you know, would have been far too strong for Lucan, but they weren't. The other game was very interesting. Um, Eamon Cassidy's um, Nafina were at home to Bowden. Bowden have a very very young side, but Bowden came over and beat them one thirteen to 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 one six. So that group is going to be very very tight. Um, Nafina definitely, you know, Kira, you know, Tierney and Eve O'Brien. The, you know, and the, the girls are really going to have to pull off a result. They're going to have to w- win away to Vincent's or get a result in Vincent's to stay in that. On the other side, I actually got to see the Ballantyre St. John's um, versus Castleknock, although we, we may have lost the, the football match against Ballyboat and we certainly came out the right side of this one. Uh, Carlo Keith managing the, the, the girls in Ballantyre and they won their first uh, senior A championship match in Camogie the weekend. Brilliant uh, play by Eleanor Nahern, um, Dervil Nolan, Sophie Quinn, Emily Alderley. Um, they won 2 12 to 12 points. The other game, I think Jude's will be the favourites. Declan to come out of this group. They, they had a good, comprehensive home win against uh, Plunkett's 2 11 to 10 points. So, look, you know, I, I think Jude's will certainly be coming out of that group. It's any one of the three come out with them, but the other group with Vincent's, Luke and Bowden and Nafina is wide open and, and very strong contenders to win the county championship in all four of those teams. Just to go back to the ladies' football, just to clarify what happened there earlier on, Kilmacud Croaks uh, beat Castle Knock 5-15 to 1-6 and it was Bowden who got the better of Sylvester's, as we say there, for, uh, 3-13 to uh, 4-9. Now we're going to switch to Hurling and the senior championship sponsored, of course, by Go Ahead as well. They're into the fourth uh, round game they got underway last night with the all north side meeting of St. Vincent's on Oliver Plunkett's own Rua at county headquarters. Vins emerging victorious, 118 to 18 points. Sean, you were at that one at Parnell Park last night. An interesting one, a couple of red cards, including one for a, a former prominent uh, Dublin footballer. Yeah, I was at the game all right, Declan. Um, it didn't take fire or set a light at all for, for a championship match. And if you set the scene before the game, Vincent's knew if they won it, they were true to the playoffs. Plunkett's knew if they lost it, they were in the relegation. And I was very surprised. Now, Plunkett's came out um, all guns blazing at the start and went 7-4 up. Keane Boland was absolutely outstanding and the two Clerkins up front. Uh, Vincent's got a goal. They did get a man sent off, as, as, as you say, um, and um, but Vincent's got a goal and got three points up and for the rest of the game Declan Vincent's just stayed three up four up and I'm talking about you know for 25, 26, 27 minutes he played six minutes extra time and Plunkett's who I've been very complimentary of all through the, the interviews in, in, the, in the studio here 
they just didn't seem to push on a little bit when Vincent's had a, were a man down. And indeed, Vincent's finished the last couple of minutes with, 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 with a second man set, sent off. Uh, and, and indeed, he, he probably the same man got sent off in the football the previous week. So, um, you know, I, I think Blunkers will wake up this morning and say, that's an opportunity missed, you know. Have a couple of weeks off and bold codes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so then to congratulations to Vins on that win last night, and particularly I saw some of the highlights. And um, John Hedgerton, I thought, was was particularly outstanding, showing his real class. He does, and and he stands out in in, in club games. And I've seen Hedjo in lots of inter county games. Now he never seems to start, but when he comes in, he doesn't get enough time. And if he did get enough time, I think he'd make an impression. I, I'll be honest, if I was a young man, or even a Patter Carton or a Vinnie Holden, if they saw John. Hedron coming in with a half an hour to go and start the edge of the square or something like that they'll be throwing their eyes to heaven and saying Geez, how am I going to deal with this guy you know and and uh, I, I just think he should be given more time you know because he's a huge addition to a forward line OK so then to today Group 1 back at County Headquarters Fogs travel across the city to face Nafina from 5.30 it's been a real baptism of fire for Fogs coming up to Senior 1 Championship and they're facing the experienced Nafina team who as we know of course have been in the last couple of county finals as well yeah, it's it's going to be very difficult for Fogs. I mean, Robbie Lewis and Carl O'Brien and these lads just won't be happy with the way Fogs are performing. I mean, their their last day out, um, they they conceded five twenty Declan to to uh, to um, Ballyboden. Um, they're going to be in the relegation, whether they like me saying that or not. Uh, they've already been beaten by Plunkett's two twenty to one seventeen. Now on the other side, they're playing Colm O'Callaghan's Nafina. Um, who are without Donald Burke as, as we know but but Nafina will have too much firepower for, for Fogs unless we can get a completely different display um, from Fogs today that we've seen so far to date yeah. but, uh, and it's very unfortunate because when you do come up from Senior B to Senior A you'd like to stay around for a couple of years there's nothing worse than being like a, you know coming straight up and straight back down you're not yeah. learning anything there, you know. is, there is a considerable gap between the two divisions as results this year have shown so far. Absolutely, Declan, and, and, and you could even split it even further. There's 10 teams in the Senior A. If you take the top six, I mean, if you come in other than the top six, they're miles ahead of, of even the bottom four in Division 1 and the top of Division 2. OK, let's move on then to the defending champions, Kilmacud Croaks, of course, the defending champions in three of the four codes in Dublin this year. Their hunt for three in a row continues at 3.30 at uh, Parnell Park this afternoon when they face uh, St. Bridget's. You just get the impression that Croaks are just starting to, to, to motor nicely in, in defence of this title, Sean. Uh, without a doubt, and they're getting better all the time. Uh, just a brief word about Bridget's. This is a huge game for Bridget's. They've already lost Luke and Takula lost today and they're in the relegation but I was last night doodling after coming home from Parnell Park and like Ronan Hayes Alex Considine Fergal Wheatley Mark Rogan Dara Purcell I mean Croaks if they have a full squad to pick from they, they almost have an inter-county top six like it's going to be very very hard and they are getting better and um, they're my favourites to, to, to retain the championship and uh, I think Bridges are really up against today Keno Sullivan Alan Nolan and these lads they'll really have to pull out all the stops to get a result here Oh, you heard it here first on Sunshine 106.8 with thanks to insuremyvan.ie. Kilmacud Crocs for the senior hurling title, says Sean Lane. A hard arguing, I suppose, in a lot of respects. There is one of the other games taking place in my own parish uh, in Crumlin at O'Toole Park uh, tomorrow. It's um, Luke and Sarsfields and Whitehall at Cullum Kill. And this is uh, the point we're making earlier on about the teams coming up from senior two to senior one. And... Uh, 
Whitehall are taking on Luke and Sarsfields, a team who had a very good start to the season so, so far with what three straight wins under, mm. under Charlie Carter, so you would probably expect them to make it four. Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend. <laughs>